to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. Take your Bibles, uh, hopefully you have a finger there, go to Mark chapter 6, and look at verse 45. Mark 6 and verse 45. It says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship, and to go to the other side before him unto Bethsaida, while he sent away the people. When he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray, and when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wonder. Now go over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And when even was now come, his disciples went down in, unto the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew and when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh into the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. I don't know if you noticed or not, but these are the three accounts by Matthew, Mark, and John concerning this event. Um, I don't always like using the word story um, because the word of God is not a story. This happened. This is reality. These things actually occurred. So I don't know. The word story, maybe it's, maybe it's just me, but it just kind of bugs me. But um, here, um, screw's good. We're good? Okay, good. So praise the Lord for answering that prayer. Glad he's okay. Um, and thank you once again to all of you that, quickly responded and went upstairs thank you thank you for doing that um but here we have these three accounts of this event in the life of christ and all three are a little bit different if you notice mark and john don't even mention peter walking on the water they didn't even they didn't even mention that um uh some and, and there's a few other little differences here and there but but each one of these men give us different details some different insight into what happened here. And this morning, I want to talk a little bit about storms. Now, 
I don't even really want to discuss Peter walking on the water. If we were to make this, so next sa- this Saturday we're going to the school play there at Brush. If we were going to make this a school play, my cast would simply con- consist of three characters. You'd have the storm, the disciples, and the Savior. And this morning, that's what I want to look at. I want to look at the storm. I want to take a look at the disciples and then take a look at the Savior. Chippy. I don't know if you know Chippy or not, but Chippy never saw it coming. One second, he was perfectly fine, perched in his cage, sending a song into the air. The next second, he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. His problem began when his owner decided to clean his cage with a vacuum. She had stuck the nozzle in to suck up all the seeds and feathers and all the stuff at the bottom of the cage when the telephone rang. Instinctively, she turned to pick up the phone, and when she had barely said hello, bonk, Chippy got sucked in. She gasped, let the phone drop, switched off the vacuum. With her heart in her mouth, she unzipped the bag. You guys remember when uh, vacuums had bags, not the canisters? Remember that? How many of you still use a two-ton Hoover? My goodness, man, you better pick up your feet. Because that thing's a toe breaker. Man, those old, remember the, I, people used to go door to door selling those crazy things. But anyway, my mom had one and oh, it was an animal. It probably still runs too. But anyway, um, anyway, there was Chippy, alive, but stunned, covered with heavy gray dust. She grabbed him, rushed him into the bathtub, turned on the faucet full blast, and held Chippy under a torrent of ice cold water, power washing him clean. Then it dawned on her that Chippy was soaking wet and shivering. So she did what any compassionate pet owner would do. She snatched up the hairdryer and blasted him with hot air. Why not? Poof, right? Did Chippy survive? Yes. But he doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares a lot. It's not hard to see why. Sucked in, washed up, and blown over. It's enough to steal the song from any stout heart. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think we feel like Chippy. Life has an amazing way of sucking us in, washing us over, chewing us up, spitting us out. And sometimes life's sea can get a little rough. For the disciples here, they've been walking with Jesus. They've been serving with Jesus in this in these chapters They've just watched Jesus feed 5,000 men. Now, the feeding of the 5,000 is an amazing thing. But what we have to realize is it wasn't just 5,000 men. There were also women and children present, and we don't have a number. So we don't actually know how large this crowd was when Jesus fed them with the two loaves or the two fishes and the five loaves or the five, two loaves, five small fishes whichever one it was, we don't know what the number was. But they had this mountaintop experience, and now the crowd is amped up. And in John, it said that they wanted to take Jesus and make him their king. So Jesus gets his disciples out of the crowd. He says, you guys get into this boat, go to the other side. And Jesus stays on the land. And they experience a storm. So this morning, I want us to see the storm, the disciples, and then thirdly, the Savior. The first thing I want you to think about this morning is the storm. Three things about the storm. Number one, they're common. We have storms all the time. 
We have rainstorms. We have thunderstorms. We have windstorms. We have blizzards. We have snowstorms. We, ha we have all kinds of storms. Storms happen all over the world. But storms are common. They're not uncommon. They're a part of our life. And for the disciples, this storm was pretty common. Uh, they're out on the Sea of Galilee, and what you need to understand is the Sea of Galilee sits about 700 feet below sea level. So here's sea level. The Sea of Galilee's down here. On the eastern side of, of the Sea of Galilee, you have mountains. It's the Golan Heights over here on the east side. And what would happen, those mountains rise about 2,000 to 2,500 feet above the Sea of Galilee. So here's the Sea of Galilee below sea level, and here are these mountains. What would happen is these eastern winds would come sweeping up over the mountains, and they would come crashing down the other side onto the Sea of Galilee. So you had these winds that would come crashing down, but also these winds were cooler, and majority of the time those winds on top of the Sea of Galilee were warm. So what would happen is you'd have these cold and hot winds that would come crashing together, and you would get these violent storms on the Sea of Galilee. So here, the, dis the disciples get into the boat, they go out into the sea, and this storm hits. And the truth is this. Storms are not uncommon in your life and in mine. I mean, just now, with little Drew, we had a storm take place right here in the middle of church. But storms are not uncommon. And all of us will go through storms. Some of you are going through storms right now. Some of you have some calm in your life right now. But we will have storms. Storms are common. Second thing about storms is they're unexpected. As common as they are, we don't necessarily expect storms. Now, we have weathermen, and most of the time they're wrong. And we have people who think they know what they're talking about. And we have apps on our phones, and most of the time they're wrong. Um, I think the beginning of this summer, pastor called me. Somewhere was getting hail. And he was like, listen, if you can, you need to get, get one of your vehicles in the garage because it's large hail. So I was like, all right. Let's do it. So me and Wesley, we, Wesley and I, we got in the garage, and we crammed everything to the side. I got my truck in the garage. We pulled Laura's car right up to the house, just like on the, our, our, the side of our house, our driveway is on the south side. So we got it right up to the house, right up to the edge of the house. We pulled Wesley's car right up behind it. I took a piece of quarter-inch uh, plywood and put it down over Laura's windshield. We took uh, doormats, and we put them over Wesley's windshield and, and different things. And, man, we were, and, and it was like, man, okay, we're ready. Nothing happened. <laughs> what are you going to do? But storms, they're unexpected. We prepare, we buy insurance, we, we save money, you know, we got things set aside, or we got plans and, and all these different things. But the reality is the storms are unexpected. We don't really know what we're going to get. I mean, especially in Fort Morgan, it's amazing how many things go north and south of us. It's amazing. But, but storms are unexpected. We prepare and, and we plan, but the truth is, is we can't always prepare and plan. And so storms are unexpected. I kind of think that when the disciples got into the boat, it was calm. I kind of think there wasn't even a breeze. I think it was just nice. They're like, sweet, let's get in the boat. I mean, they got four fishermen. These guys were used to being in a boat. Let's go to the other side. So what they do? They got in the boat and they were going to the other side. I don't think they were anticipating or expecting a storm necessarily, but they, they come up, they happen. But not only are they common and unexpected, but the third thing I want you to think about when it comes to storms is this. Sometimes storms seem to be against us. 
in, in the passages we read, it said a few times in there that the wind was contrary. It was fighting them in everything they were attempting to do. The wind was in their face. The wind was so strong that in, in one of the passages we read that they were rowing. They didn't even have a sail up. So I would imagine, one, either the wind was too strong for a sail or the wind was blowing the wrong direction for a sail. So they are rowing against that wind trying to get to the other side. But sometimes storms seem to be against us. It says in Mark 6, 48 that it was windy. Now, we live in Fort Morgan. We know, we know a little bit about wind. I think I saw, um, I looked it up, I think, yesterday, but I think the wind record for Wyoming is, what is it, like 120-something miles an hour? Or is it more, maybe more, 140-something miles an hour? I don't remember what it was now, but it was ridiculous. I mean, I just can't imagine. I remember one time we were down in Denver for some reason. We were coming home, and there was a, a Dodge Ram pick, a Ram pickup with a fifth wheel, and literally it looked like it was picked up and set down upside down. I mean, wind can be nasty. Wind can be nasty. It also says that it was dark in Mark 6, 48 and John 6, verse 17. This happens at night. Let me ask you a question. Why does it seem like the worst things happen at night? It's like three in the morning, somebody's house catches on fire. Three in the morning, the roof is leaking. Three in the morning, the sewer's backing up into the house. Three in the morning, I mean, it's like, why can't we all be at school, at work, and let the house burn to the ground? But it doesn't seem like it works that way. It seems like storms happen at the, at the worst time. Um, I, I was thinking at our house, we, um, our basement used to, our basement, uh, our front porch was literally built on top of our basement. It wasn't attached to the house. It was built on top of the floor joists of our base, or the, the joists over our basement. And so with the right wind, the right amount of water, it would leak. And it was very frustrating. So a year ago, my father-in-law and I, we enclosed the front porch. We left a little bit of a stoop. We tiled the stoop and closed it all in, finished it out. It came out really nice. It still leaked. That's not my reaction. I don't think it's funny at all. But anyway, when it rains and the wind blows just right, buckets, Tupperware in the basement. And it's just aggravating. I was thinking about Tyler and Kenzie last year when their, base, when their uh, basement flooded and the septic system and things were coming back up into the bottom of the house. Tyler, after that happened, the next time did it rain? Did that go through your brain? Did you think about it? Isn't it amazing how we do that? We have a bad experience with a storm, and what happens? Boom, it's right there, man. It's right, th we're, it's right there. We remember, we know. Listen, when it rains at my house, you don't have to call me and go, hey, Wes, have you checked your basement yet? Yes, I have. Thank you. I'm going to check my basement. You know what? Storms in life are like that sometimes. We get scars. We get cuts. We're sensitive. Man, that storm, something pops up in life, and where's our brain automatically go? We remember. We know. And sometimes storms seem like they're against us. So storms, they're common. They're unexpected. And sometimes they seem to be against us. Next, I want you to think about the disciples. Let's look at the disciples. Go back to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. The first thing I want you to think about the disciples is this. They were just doing what they were told. In Matthew 14, verse 22, it says, And straightway Jesus constrained, he begged, 
he pleaded with his disciples to get into a ship to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Jesus said, get in the ship. The disciples get in the ship. They start getting out into the middle of the ocean. They're just doing what they're supposed to do. Have you ever asked yourself, why do new customers get the best deals? Have you ever thought about this? You ever seen the phone commercial? Uh, switch to Verizon and get this brand new iPhone and get this many months free and get an iPad and get a new car and get this and that. And it's all this stuff, you know, if you switch to Verizon and you're a brand new customer, we're going to give you a great deal. And I'm kind of like, I've been a customer for 12 years. What have you ever given me? Nothing. But I pay my bill each month. I'm, I've been here for a while. What do they give to existing customers? They don't give you anything. Some of that's changed now. They're a little better about it. AT&T is really good about it. Have you seen the AT&T commercials with the new phones? It's always new and existing customers. Pretty good deal. You ever feel like you get punished for doing the right thing? You ever, have you ever felt that way? You ever felt like, man, I'm just trying to do what I'm supposed to do, and I feel like I'm getting punished for it. How many of you kids ever felt that way? Uh-huh, thank you. Thank you. Wait, wait, wait. Who, who, who raised their hand back there? I said kids. I said kids. Anyway, I know who's honest. I know the, how the kids are. But anyway, listen, the disciples are just doing what they were told. Not only were they doing what they were told, but they were alone. If you look at Matthew 14, verse 22, he sent the multitudes away. They get into the ship. Look at verse 23. It says, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray and when the evening was come, he was there alone. Go over to John. Hopefully you still have this in your fingers here. Mark or John chapter 6. Look at verse 16. It says, And when even was now come, his disciples went down under the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. Notice this. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. So they're alone. They get in the, they're, on their, they're on their own. They get in the boat. And they start going across without Jesus. He's not with them. You ever felt alone? Isn't it amazing how you can be in a house full of people? You can be in a house with the TV on, the phone ringing, kids yelling, dogs barking, stuff happening. It's noisy, but you're alone. You're alone. It's amazing how we feel that way. Is it always true? No. Are we actually alone? No. But we feel that way. We feel that way. They were doing what they were told. They seemed to be alone. Set the third thing I want you to think about when it comes to the disciples is they were failing. Go over to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Look at verses 23 to 22 and 23. Or no, I'm sorry. I was, I was mixing two. Mark 6 verse 48. I was like, that's not right. 648 it says and he saw them toiling and rowing for the wind was contrary unto them and ab about the fourth hour of the watch tonight coming unto them walking on the sea and would have passed by them they were toiling and rowing but the wind was contrary they were struggling they were trying but were they getting there no have you ever felt that way you're trying and you're trying and you're trying to progress you're trying to find solutions you're trying to work you're trying to figure it out but you're not advancing. You're not fixing it. There's no solutions. 
It's frustrating. It's exhausting. It's tiring. They were failing. They were trying, but they were failing. Listen, Mother Nature, actually, I'm sorry. I can't believe I just said that. You can slap me later for saying that. Mother Nature doesn't exist. Sorry. Creation, nature is brutal. Last year, I think it was last year in September, there was a guy by the name of Jacob Russell who decided to go hike Long's Peak. Long's Peak is a 14er. It's the only one in the national park. And uh, Jacob Russell decided to, um, to hike, uh, or Russell Jacob decided to hike Long's Peak in September. And in, when he got towards, uh, I think, the keyhole, um, I've never hiked it, probably never will. But uh, you have your boulder field, and I think at the top of the boulder field is the keyhole. Um, he was making his way up there, and this front moved in, and it began to snow, and it began to sleet. Russell Jacobs lost his life that day. He didn't have any equipment. He didn't have any kind of crampon or uh, spikes for his shoes. He didn't have any rope. He didn't have any axe. He didn't have a tent. He didn't have extra clothing. He had nothing with him. He went up there to hike Long's Peak and to come right back down, but he didn't prepare for potential weather change. And he got stuck. He hit his little GPS, sent out an SOS. Uh, somehow he got to where he could actually talk to somebody. He said, I guess there's a shelter up there by the keyhole. He said, I'm going to head for that shelter. So they sent out rescue workers. They couldn't find him. And he never made it. And he died on that mountainside. Why? Because nature is brutal. And Colorado weather is brutal. And you don't really know what you're going to get, and you better be prepared. He was not prepared. Here, the disciples are out on the sea. Man, they're trying, but they're not succeeding. And sometimes I think we feel that way. We're trying to find a solution. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to feel better. We're trying to help ourselves. And we're, we're trying and we're trying, but we're failing. But we're failing. Not only that, they were afraid. If you went over to Matthew 14, 26, and uh, Mark 6, if you look at Mark 6, verse uh, 49, it says, but they saw him walking upon the sea. They supposed it had been a spirit and cried out. For they saw him and were troubled. The other passages said that they say that they were afraid or they feared. They were afraid. I think if I would have been Russell Jacobs, I would have been afraid. Stand, sitting on the side of that mountain by yourself in the freezing cold with no help, no resources, no ability, that would be scary. And here the disciples, they're failing, they're alone. And they're afraid. Not only that, they were exhausted. Here in Mark 6, look at verse 48. It says that Jesus came unto them. Notice it's walking on the sea and would have passed by them. It says before that, that it was about the fourth watch of the night. Now, I just told the teens this in Sunday school. But listen, the Jewish, the Jewish uh, people had, they had their, their, their hours of the day, which is about 6 a.m. or sunrise to sundown, which is about 6 p.m. The Jewish day was about 6 to 6. Their night watches were from sundown to 9 o'clock, from 9 o'clock to midnight, from midnight to 3, and then from 3 to sunrise or approximately 6 a.m. Those were their four night watches. So this is in the fourth night that Jesus walks on the sea to them. So this is anywhere from 3 a.m. to sunrise. 
They have been struggling all night long. They have been rowing. They have been trying. Maybe some are scooping and bailing water out of the boat. But they are striving and trying and trying and trying with no progress. They are exhausted. You ever had something that kept you up at night? You ever try to go to sleep and your brain just starts running a thousand miles an hour? And whatever that problem is, maybe it's with your kids, maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's something at work, whatever it might be. And it's just the wheels are turning and you can't shut it up. You can't turn it off. Maybe you, maybe you get up and you read your Bible for a little bit. Maybe you spend some time praying. Maybe you turn on the TV or you get on your phone or whatever it might be. And you're trying to find some relief. And then finally you're like, man, I'm getting tired. So you turn it all off. You put it all away. You turn off the lights. You lay back down. The wheels start turning again. And it's right there. We have things that keep us up. We have things that keep us up at night. We have things take place in our lives that keep us from sleeping. And then you got to get up the next day and you got to go to work and you got to take care of the kids and you have to live life. And what are you? You're exhausted. The disciples were exhausted too. And not only were they exhausted, they were exhausted. They were afraid. They were failing. They were alone. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. The last thing about the disciples is this. They were distracted. Mark 6, 48, it says, and he would have passed by them. Don't miss this. The disciples were so busy trying to figure it out, figure it out on their own. The disciples were so busy trying to get by and do what they needed to do that they almost missed the Savior. And ladies and gentlemen, whatever your storm is, don't miss the Savior. You have to find and see Jesus in the midst of your storm. You have to look for him. You have to look for him. Thankfully, they did see him. Thankfully, he did stop. Which brings me to my next point, the Savior. So you have the storm. You have the disciples. The third thing I want you to think about is the Savior. Listen, the disciples seemed to be alone. They were exhausted. They were afraid. But the Savior was there the whole time. Notice three things about the Savior. Number one, when it comes to the Savior... He is walking your sea. He is in the midst of the waves with you. He walks your sea. It says here that in the fourth watch, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea. He walks your sea. I'd really like to show you something. If you take your Bibles, go to Hebrews chapter 2. I'd really like you to see this passage, uh, Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse number 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. I would encourage you to underline some of this or highlight it or write it in the front of your Bible. But Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 14. It says, for as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, that's you and me, we are flesh and blood, he, this is Jesus, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Why did Jesus take on flesh? Why did Jesus step out of heaven, be born as a baby, become human, and walk this earth that through death 
he might destroy him that had power of death, that is the devil. Why else? Or what, for what other reason? And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Why did Jesus become man? For you and for me. To rescue you and to rescue me. To help you and to help me. To forgive us of our sins. To pay the penalty and the price for our sin. He came, became man for us. But he had to become man to do it. Now notice verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, notice this, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in all things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Do you realize, do you realize in the Jewish culture, when they would go to the temple and offer a sacrifice, that priest couldn't sympathize. That priest had no feelings. He had no idea. They sinned. They needed forgiveness. They needed to offer a sacrifice, and they brought that to the priest, and there was no empathy. The priest simply offered their sacrifice. Jesus took on flesh, not just so he could die for your sins and for mine. Jesus became flesh so that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest. In other words, when you go to Jesus, he does empathize, he can sympathize, and he knows how you feel. What an amazing truth. You can come to me, and you can say, Pastor West, or you can come to Pastor Monday, you can come to Pastor Thane, and you can say, man, this is what's going on, and this is how I feel. And maybe in some circumstances, we can understand, and we, can, we, can, we do understand how you feel, but for mo most of the time, we don't know how you feel. You know why? Because I'm human. And we can't necessarily always adic adequately feel somebody else's pain, but Jesus can. What an amazing truth that Jesus knows how you feel. But look at verse 18, it gets better. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, notice this, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Now you say, well, that's an impressive word, that word succor, succor, however you want to say it. Man, that's pretty awesome. What on earth does it mean? It means to run to the aid of. We support our missionary, uh, Frank Maeda. They're missionaries in Italy. Frank told me one time, this word sucker in Italian is literally 911. We just had EMTs rush upstairs. We had several in our church rush upstairs. What? To the aid of a little boy. That's Jesus. In the midst of your storm, you can dial 911 and Jesus responds. You can dial 911 and Jesus rushes to your aid. He's available. He's there. He walks your sea. He walks your sea. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Listen, feelings are real. Don't dismiss them. Feelings are real. And God gave us feelings. Feelings are real and feelings matter. Now listen to this. Don't act on your feelings. Act on truth. But feelings are legitimate. Feelings matter. And here it says that Jesus can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He cares about how you feel. It matters to him. 
It says, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Jesus empathizes. He knows how you feel. He knows where you're at. And it matters to him. He walks your sea. He's walked your sea. But not only does he walk your sea, but notice this. He sees you. Go back to Mark 6. Go all the way back over there to Mark chapter 6. And look at verse 48. Mark 6, 48. It says, and he saw them toiling in rowing. You ever felt invisible? You ever felt like nobody sees you? Nobody understands? Jesus sees. Jesus sees right where you're at. He sees what you're going through. He sees what you're experiencing. He sees how you're feeling. He sees what you're thinking. He sees you. He notices. There isn't anything that catches him off guard. There isn't anything that he's not aware of. There isn't anything that surprises him. He sees you. Not only does he walk your seat, not only does he see you, but the next thing I want to think about is this. His presence is real. Matthew 14, verse 27 says, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Here in Mark chapter 6 and verse 50, says for they all saw him and were troubled and immediately he talked with them and said unto them be of good cheer it is i be not afraid said before that he went walking unto them john chapter 6 and verse 19 so when they had rowed about 530 furlongs they see jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship and they were afraid listen the presence of jesus in your life is real it is not fake it is not a fairy tale it's not something that we just think up it's not something if i put a dollar under my pillow maybe he'll show up no he is present all the time everywhere i told the teens this on wednesday night and some of them kind of looked at me a little shocked but you know i hear people all the time they're like well you can't say that you're in church well you can't do that you're in church You realize God doesn't live in this building? You realize if you're saved, he lives in you. You realize 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians 6 tell us that we are the temple of God? He lives in you now. So that means he goes everywhere you go. Yeah, let that sink in real quick. He hears everything you say. He watches everything you watch. He does everything you do. Yeah, he goes everywhere. It's not about this building. It's about you. He lives inside you as a Christian. That's kind of a sobering thought that God lives inside me. His presence goes everywhere you go. You have the presence of God. It was promised to us in Matthew, in Matthew 28, verse 20. He told his disciples, he said, teaching them to observe whatsoever things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. In Hebrews 13, 5, he said, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. He hath, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You ever been lost? I, I am not necessarily, you can ask my wife, I'm not necessarily afraid to ask for directions. I'm not really one of those guys. 
I mean, I like to get where I'm going. I like to stay out of bad neighborhoods. Uh, Thane and I went and saw, uh, we went to see Mr. Sherman, which, man, have you guys heard about Mr. Sherman? What? That man is an animal. He had his kidney, liver, liver replaced on Monday. So Thane and I drive down to Denver to see Mr. Sherman. He's already in surgery. So we go in and we talk to Eric. And I'm talking to Eric. And he says, yeah, uh, they said recovery's going to be about two to three weeks. He'll be in the hospital. It's like, wow, okay. He's home. He went into surgery at like 10 o'clock on Monday, came out that evening. He, uh, Monday, they put him in his room or put him in ICU. I think um, Tuesday he got finally into his room up on the ninth floor. And the, I guess the rehab nurse comes in. And he was kind of already up and about. And he was like, no, 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 I'll do it myself. So he's doing his rehab on his own. And I think, was it Friday? Or was it yesterday? Friday, I got a text that he was going home. Not even a week later. That guy's an animal. Yikes. But, man, what an amazing thing. Anyway, whatever. Um, Thane and I went down to see Mr. Sherman on Monday. And I'm telling you what. If you go to Denver with Thane, do not follow his directions. Because he's going to take you through some sketchy neighborhoods. I mean, I was like, Thane, where are we going? And you all know how Colfax is, so we're not even going to go there. But listen, I was like, Thane. And anyway, it really wasn't that bad. I was just harassing him. But um, I, I'm not afraid to ask for directions, though. I will put it in my phone. I will call somebody. I will, I will get directions because I don't like to be lost, and I like to avoid bad neighborhoods. But listen, you can't get away from God. You can't. You can't get away from the presence of God. He's with you everywhere you go, good and bad. But the presence of God is real. And here for the disciples, Jesus' presence, notice what, it, what he says. Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Ladies and gentlemen, the presence of God should remove fear, and it should bring joy. It should remove fear. And it should bring joy in our lives. In spite of the storm, in spite of what we are experiencing, it should remove fear and bring joy. I've heard a saying that's very true. You've probably heard it too. In each life, some rain must fall. We'd have a drought with no rain at all. When it's dry, we pray for rain to water the earth for a harvest to gain. No rain can cause a famine, you know. For without rain, crops can't grow. Storm clouds gather and how we fret. We've been through storms hard to forget. In the midst of a storm, shelter we seek. Thunder will roar, lightning will streak. The storm rages and we long for peace. We pray for the wind and rain to cease. Then the sun shines and skies are clear. All is calm and there's nothing to fear. We go through storms on the sea of life. We suffer heartache, sorrow, and strife. Trust in Jesus and in him abide. All through the storm, he's by your side. Ladies and gentlemen, the Savior walks your sea. He sees you, and his presence is a reality in your life. Regardless of the storm, regardless of the circumstances, don't forget that. I want to share with you three more quick things about this storm and we'll be done the first one is this the savior has power over your storm in matthew 14 verse 32 it says 
And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. In Mark 6, 57, it says the wind ceased. In Mark 4, verse 39, when Jesus was asleep in the boat, and they came and said, Master, Master, we perish. What did he do? He stood, he rebuked the wind in the sea, and he said, Peace, be still, and a calm. The creator has power over your storm. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how hard it is. It doesn't matter how violent it is. It doesn't matter how tumultuous it is. It doesn't matter how big the waves are. He has power over your storm. The Savior has power over your storm. Not only does he have power over your storm, but listen, the storm brings glory to the Savior. Notice verse 33 of Matthew chapter 14. Then when they were in the ship, then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Ladies and gentlemen, your purpose and mine is to bring him glory. And when we experience those storms in life, those storms are to bring the Savior glory. This storm in the disciples' life ultimately brought glory to God. The Savior has power over your storm. Your storm brings God glory. And the third and last thing when it comes to this is the survivors are never disappointed. Go over to Mark chapter 6. The survivors are never disappointed. Mark chapter 6, verse 51 says, And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wonder. Go over to John chapter 6 now. John chapter 6, and look at verse number 21. John chapter 6, verse 21. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Did they make it? Yes, they did. And so will you. So will I. The disciples made it. Ladies and gentlemen, with the Savior, there is no disappointment. He always comes through. The Savior does not disappoint. He sent them to the other side. Yes, there was a storm in the middle, but he ultimately got them there. And he'll get you through too. I know sometimes it's cliche and I know sometimes we don't like to use it, but Romans 8, 28, ladies and gentlemen, will always be true. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who they're called according to his purpose. We know that all things work together for good. I can't tell you how. I can't explain it. I can't tell you what it's going to look like. But God promises that everything works for good. That's all I can tell you. That's all I can tell you. Listen. Regardless of your storm, regardless of your circumstance, never forget that the Savior has power over your storm. Your storm is designed to bring the Savior glory, and the Savior never disappoints. He never disappoints. There's a song that my family, that my family and I, we like, we like to sing and, or try to sing along with, but the lyrics go something like this. I've been there in the lowest of times. I've had questions in my mind. I've even been scared. But I know that I have a Savior who knows right where I am and hears my prayers. In the midst of all the problems and burdens of this life, I will call upon the one who can get me through the night. I don't know how the story will end. I didn't see this in the plans you have for me. But I know that I can trust 
in the one who's working all things for my good. Though I may not know the answers till I reach the other side, I will keep my eyes on Jesus till my faith becomes sight. Lord, hold my hand in the middle of my storm. When I'm sinking down, Lord, help me to stand. When the waves are crashing round, may I keep my eyes on you. Because, Lord, you're the only one who can help me get through the middle of my storm. Are you in a storm this morning? I know we all have so many different things going on, and I know we all have different circumstances, but are you in a, are you in a storm this morning? If you're in a storm this morning, listen. Savior has power over your storm. That storm's designed to bring him glory. And if you will look to the Savior and trust him, he doesn't disappoint. He does not disappoint. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I'd love to pray for you. So I'm just going to ask one simple question. Are you in a storm this morning? If you're in a storm, would you raise your hand and just let us pray for you today? Nobody's looking. Nobody's looking around. All right. Thank you. We'll pray for you. We're going to pray right now. We're going to sing one, in, one verse of invitation hymn, and then we'll close. If you want to come to this altar and pray and just give that storm to God, it's here. It's here. But let's pray real quick for that, for, that, for that storm. Lord, I thank you for their honesty. Lord, thank you for loving us. I thank you that your presence is real. Thank you that you see us right where we are. Lord, I pray for those that are in the middle of a storm right now. I just pray that you would comfort their heart. But Lord, I pray that they would take courage and look to the Savior. Stop trusting in themselves. Stop trusting in this world. But look to the Savior. Lord, you have the power and you don't disappoint. Lord, I pray that you be with each one today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing 145. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. being here this morning. Uh, Clint, would you close us in prayer this morning, please?